This is the Cosmosphere Podcast, Episode 23, Jim Remar's Linda Hall Library Presentation on Apollo 13. I'm your host, John Molnix. I'm a volunteer here at the Cosmosphere, and we are back after a long hiatus. Um, my personal work life has been a little bit crazy, um, as I'm sure everyone else's has been uh, due to the coronavirus pandemic. I hope this podcast finds everyone well. Today's audio is from Jim's presentation on Apollo 13 that was given this past April. It also includes a question and answer session at the end. We hope you enjoy this audio. Good afternoon. I'm Eric Ward, Vice President for Public Programs at the Linda Hall Library. Thank you for joining us today for Apollo 13, NASA's most successful failure. Presented in partnership with our friends at the Cosmosphere International Science Education Center and Space Museum. I hope this finds everyone doing well. If you're staying physically healthy, the Linda Hall Library is here to help you maintain your intellectual health. In addition to, in addition to today's event, we have several additional upcoming online programs. This Wednesday, April 15th at noon, will be a live stream lecture on monarch butterfly conservation with Angie Babbitt from the University of Kansas Monarch Watch. This Thursday, April 16th at 7 p.m., a program entitled Survival by Degrees, 389 Bird Species on the Brink, with Dr. Brooke Bateman, Senior Scientist at the National Audubon Society. On April 21st and 23rd at 4 p.m. will be a two-part live stream workshop on science fact versus science fiction, misinformation in the time of COVID-19 moderated by Linda Hall Library Program Coordinator, Ashley Carlson. And on April 29th at 7 p.m. will be a live stream lecture on the history of mass extinctions with Dr. Jonathan Payne from Stanford University. Follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest information on these programs. You can also visit lindahall.org for more information about these events and to register. Also on our website, I encourage you to sign up for our email newsletter, and you can also check out ways to support the library from our president circle to our science sustainer program. Your support makes all of our programming possible. Well, thank you very much for that. Now for today's program. Today, April 13th, marks the 50th anniversary of the oxygen tank explosion in Apollo 13 service module relive the harrowing mission, and learn about what led to NASA's most successful failure with Jim Remar, President and CEO of the Cosmosphere, who will be speaking today in front of the Apollo 13 Command Module Odyssey, which is on display in their Apollo Gallery in the Hall of Space Museum. A recognized expert in the areas of museum administration, Jim joined the Cosmosphere as curator in 2000. After eight years at the Cosmosphere, he joined the team at Gregory Incorporated as Vice President of Operations. 2012, he returned to the Cosmosphere as President and COO, where he was responsible for all operations of the organization, including Spaceworks, the department of the Cosmosphere responsible for the restoration of artifacts, as well as the fabrication of exhibitry and high-fidelity replicas. The Cosmosphere's governing board named Mr. Remar CEO of the organization in January 2018. He received his bachelor's degree in history and political science from Washburn, Washburn University, his master's degree in museum studies with a minor in history from the University of Nebraska, and an MBA from Wichita State. And it's my great pleasure to turn the program over to uh, Mr. Jim Remar. Thanks, Eric. I want to thank you and Ashley and all those with the Linda Hall Library. Uh, we enjoy our great partnership and relationship with the Linda Hall, and we're very excited to be able to do this today. So, as Eric said, I am standing in front of the Odyssey. So, this is the actual command module um, from 
that fateful mission. Um, it resides here in Hutchinson, Kansas. And in fact, today, I believe uh, the city of Hutchinson proclaimed the city National Apollo 13 Day. So we are excited to be able to bring this program to you. Um, off my left shoulder is Captain Jim Lovell's uh, spacesuit um, from that mission. So we've got some incredible artifacts. And so I'm going to take you on a journey today, share the story uh, of the mission, what happened, and then how uh, those in mission control and, and the astronauts were able to return safely uh, to Earth and then talk to you about uh, the role the Cosmosphere played in restoring the spacecraft as well as the movie Apollo 13. So I'm going to pull up my presentation. Okay, so Apollo 13, as Eric said, the explosion took place uh, 50 years ago today. Um, the mission launched on April 11th, 50 years ago. Uh, it was the seventh manned mission and the third lunar mission. So the crew of Apollo 13, Tom Hanks, Gary Sinise, and the uh, uh, also um, Fred Hayes. No, so the actual crew was Jim Lovell, uh, was captain. Initially, it was going to be uh, Ken Mattingly as command module pilot, and then Fred Hayes as lunar module pilot. During training, um, Ken Mattingly, uh, who had not had the measles, came in contact with Charlie Duke, uh, who had the measles, and he was replaced by Jack Swigert. So the actual crew uh, of the mission was Jack Swigert as command module pilot, Jim Lovell, commander, and then Fred Hayes as lunar module pilot. And it's a testament to the training um, that these astronauts and the ground control, uh, ground crew went through in that Swigert was able to, with a very short period of time, uh, come in and replace Mattingly as command module pilot. So April 11th, uh, 50 years ago, this past Saturday, the Saturn V with its five F-1 engines launched uh, from Kennedy Space Center and sent the command module on its trajectory towards the moon. So this is a scene from inside mission control. Um, you can see Fred Hayes uh, on the control up there uh, on the um, screen, Gene Kranz uh, at the flight controller desk. This was right before the explosion. Uh, this was the live national TV broadcast. Uh, and in fact, um, the Apollo missions themselves had become somewhat commonplace. And the networks decided not to run the live broadcast. Um, in fact, I believe I Love Lucy um, ran instead of the network uh, broadcast of the mission. So shortly after shutting that down, uh, the explosion that Eric referred to happened. So the spacecraft itself was comprised of three parts. Um, you had the lunar module part, which if you're looking at your screen is on the left, um, the spidery looking vehicle. And then you had the command module, which is the conical shape piece at the top, which is right behind me. And then the service module. The service module maintained all of the life support and fuel cell capabilities for the command module. And it was in the service module where the explosion took place. So this is an interior um, view of the service module. You can see the oxygen tanks, the fuel cells, and these were all necessary for life support uh, to sustain the crew on their way to the moon and then return. So what caused the explosion? Well, the explosion itself was caused when Jack Swigert went to stir the cryo tanks or the oxygen tanks. This was a routine maneuver where they flipped the switch, the fans inside the tank stirred the cryo, and it was something that was commonplace in all Apollo missions. Stepping back a few years, the tank itself was damaged when it was dropped at the manufacturers. Uh, it happened to be uh, Cessna um, was the manufacturer of the, the cryo tanks. The tank was dropped. It was originally intended for Apollo 10, um, but then was used for Apollo 13. The damage inside was unknown. So during one of the tests prior to the mission itself, the tanks were full of oxygen. There was a procedure to 
expel the oxygen from the tanks. Um, that was routine. When they tried to expel the tank, the oxygen from the tank, it didn't expel. So what Lovell did was went through a process where the tank internally heated up to expel the oxygen. When this happened, the sheath on the wiring was fried. And then it was the flip of that switch, the O2 fan, that caused the major problem. So once that switch was flipped, sparks ignited inside the tank, creating a catastrophic explosion, essentially rendering the command module lifeless. Master alarms began to go off. A main bus bolt B undervolt alarm went off, and then the cryo levels began to drop significantly. At this point in time, it was still unknown what had happened, and it was still unknown whether the crew was going to be successful in achieving a, a lunar landing. So here's an internal view of the, the tank. Um, you can see the temperature heat sensors and the wiring harnesses. When those fan motors kicked in and that thermostat went on, the explosion literally ripped the whole side of that service module off. Once that happened, the life support system was rendered inoperable. This is a scene from uh, the movie Apollo 13 uh, portraying what happened right after the explosion. Once the explosion happened, mission control quickly jumped into the mix of trying to figure out the problem and then what the solution was going to be. You can see Gene Kranz on the left, uh, Glenn Lunny, the middle there at the flight controller's desk. Gene Kranz and Glenn Lunny had to make sure that the flight controllers remained calm. The last thing they needed was panic. There were three astronauts uh, that were 200,000 miles from Earth that had to get home. So under the leadership of the flight directors, mission control quickly moved into action to determine what happened and what damage was done to the spacecraft. Astronauts and flight controllers from all over came in. Uh, in fact, Ed Fendel um, tells a story how he was out playing softball, uh, was in his sweats having a beer when they got a call from Mission Control that something had happened to the Odyssey. Didn't take the time to shower, immediately went into Mission Control, and everyone began to try to figure out what happened and what they could do to help. So the fuel cells at the top here were what supplied the power as well as the water um, inside the command module. So those were inoperable due to the explosion. At this point in time, it was determined that the command module itself would no longer be able to sustain lives, let alone those of three astronauts. So what they did was they quickly powered down the command module and moved into the lunar module. And again, the astronauts are 200,000 miles from Earth on their way to the moon. They powered the command module down. They began to move into the lunar module and began to power up the lunar module to sustain life while mission control tried to figure out the best return path. Had the mission happened any sooner, um, they could have returned to Earth but had it happened any later, um, the fact is they may not have had a successful return to Earth. It could have been uh, that the two astronauts would have been on the moon while Jack Swigert was orbiting the moon. It was decided that the moon would be used as a slingshot. So using the descent engine from the lunar module, they would propel themselves around the dark side of the moon use the moon as a slingshot, and then begin their return back to Earth. While they had figured out the return, they had figured out the life support inside the command or the lunar module. What they didn't know was how to filter out the carbon dioxide. So obviously they're able to breathe oxygen provided from the lunar module, but the lunar module itself was only able to provide filtered air for two astronauts over a three-day period. You've got three astronauts over a multi-day period and not enough filters. In an engineering quirk, the filters used for the command module were square. 
the filters used for the lunar module were cylinder. And so mission control and the astronauts had to figure out how to take the square filters from the command module and incorporate them into the lunar module to scrub the air. So why not turn to duct tape? I think that's probably something that everybody uses across this country um, or has used at one point in time uh, to fix something. Um, so fortunately, uh, duct tape was on board. So using some tubing, uh, some bags that were in the, the lunar module, and some of their flight books, they crafted uh, a way to utilize those square filters. And you can see here how they devised the contraption to allow the square filters to be used inside the lunar module. That's a shot from inside the lunar module. And that's what the filter looked like after they had used the procedures that were devised by the mission controllers. So now they're able to sustain life. They're on their return to Earth. Even though they were returning, there were still many questions about the viability of safely landing. First, the command module had been completely powered down. There had never been a point during a mission where the command module had powered down and then had to be powered back up. The question was when to separate the command module from the service module. This was even more of an issue given that the RCS thrusters on the service module were inoperable. And then when do they take the lifeboat, the lunar module, and separate it from the command module? And then more importantly, the question remained unanswered was their damage to the heat shield. The heat shield was essential for re-entering. During the course of re-entry, temperatures in excess of 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit would engulf the command module. The heat shield was made of an ablative material that dissipated as it burned, so it actually took the heat away from the spacecraft. They didn't know whether the heat shield had been damaged and if it had been damaged, would it be able to sustain uh, the temperatures? So there's a picture taken from the crew of the side of the service module. Um, you can see the, the catastrophic damage done to that panel on that side. So there was a button that was used or a switch that was thrown that would jettison the lunar module. So that's the lifeboat, the Aquarius. Um, after it was jettisoned from the command module. And then in April 17th of 1970, as the world held their breath for over six minutes, the Odyssey safely splashed down in the Pacific Ocean, returning all three astronauts safely to Earth. And that's the scene inside mission control uh, after the command module was safe. There are the three astronauts on board the recovery ship um, after they had been plucked from the ocean. Uh, talking to the president um, afterwards. And then there is the ship, it's uh, command module itself um, being loaded onto the sh uh, recovery ship. That is the command module that sits behind me um, today. So NASA refers to this as it's greatest failure. Um, it was a, an enormous effort, a team effort to get all of the individuals um, working collectively uh, as one to try and return those three uh, astronauts safely to Earth. After it was or after it returned successfully, NASA viewed the mission itself as a failure. Um, given the fact that the spacecraft, the, the mission did not achieve its ultimate objective of landing man on the moon, um, NASA did not feel that even though the crew returned safely, it was a success. When it returned, NASA gutted the entire interior of the spacecraft. You can kind of see in the hatch here. All of the hardware um, from inside that spacecraft was removed. 
the reason was that NASA was trying to figure out what caused the explosion. Um, at that point, they weren't sure whether it was a malfunction inside the command module or something inside the service module. After it was determined what had caused the explosion, NASA viewed this as out of sight, out of mind. So the command module itself was shipped over to France, where it resided in a museum uh, in Paris for over 20 years. Step back a little bit um, to 1976, when the Cosmosphere um, was beginning to acquire artifacts for its collection. One of the objectives of the Cosmosphere was to ultimately try to get the command module Apollo 13 to return to the U.S. And so the Cosmosphere began collecting components uh, from the, the spacecraft. When a spacecraft returned, NASA did one of several things. Uh, it could take some of that hardware and integrate it into another command module. It could take that hardware and integrate it into a trainer, or it could access that hardware. And so as NASA began to access the hardware of Apollo 13, using documentation, the Cosmosphere began to acquire a large percentage of many of those internal components. In the 80s, the Cosmosphere began working with the Department of State, the Smithsonian, and NASA in an effort to return the spacecraft to the United States. In 1995, the Cosmosphere was successful in this objective, and the Smithsonian, NASA, and the State Department uh, indeed brought the command module back from uh, France, and it came here to Hutchinson, Kansas. Now, the Cosmosphere maintains a division known as SpaceWorks that does restoration and replication work for groups all over the world. And it was decided by NASA and the Smithsonian that for two reasons. One, the Cosmosphere having in its collection uh, hardware from the Apollo 13, and because of its expertise, the Cosmosphere was entrusted with restoring this significant artifact. And so in 1995, the Cosmosphere began reintegrating almost all of the hardware into the spacecraft and began cleaning it for preservation. There was one panel that eluded the Cosmosphere, and that was the main control panel number one. Um, through all of its efforts, the Cosmosphere was unable to locate that control panel. During this time in the Cosmosphere's history, we were undergoing significant expansion. On display was the 1G trainer um, for the Apollo Soyuz test project. And so it was a full command module um, that was used by the ASTP crew for training. When the Cosmosphere moved that trainer to its ASTP exhibit, SpaceWorks technicians got inside of the trainer and began looking at the, the complete hardware inside that trainer. It happened to be that control panel number one inside that trainer was actually control panel number one for the Apollo 13 command module. So it had been under our nose all, the, all that time. So that was reintegrated into the command module and the restoration was completed in 1997. And then the command module, as you see it here, was set in place in 2001. And that's also at the same point in time when we acquired uh, Captain Level's spacesuit from that mission. So not only does the mission itself um, hold a, a, a special place in our heart because of the spacecraft, um, we also worked on the movie. Um, so Ron Howard's movie, Apollo 13, um, was a production that the Cosmosphere's Spaceworks division was intimately involved in. Over 80% of the hardware and props that were used for that movie were fabricated here in Hutchinson by our Spaceworks technicians and craftsmen. Um, so it's, it's a, a great opportunity or a success for us to be involved in the movie, um, a, a movie that was so um, popular, as well as the restoration of one of the iconic spacecraft um, known uh, to, to any generation. Um, so at this point, I'm going to open it up for questions. I'm sure uh, there are a lot of people out there who have various questions, um, and I would love to, to be able to answer that and talk about the, the mission itself, uh, the restoration of the command module, or the movie. 
see there was one uh, how did the apollo 13 blow up so that was when they went to stir the cryo tanks um that tank uh exploded um exploding the the section of the service module the the service module itself was split into quadrants so there were four sections um so that particular section um was destroyed Uh, the question about how much projected battery was left in the command module, um, you know, I am not sure. Uh, there, there was some life left in the battery, um, probably not enough um, to sustain much more um, than what they had already um, done. And then the same with, with the air. They, they had enough um, filters to scrub the air, so they, they could have expen extended um, uh, beyond that, but there was only a finite number of, of filters. So once they ran out of filters, um, there was there was no more um, scrubbing of the air. Scrolling up here, let's see if I can do this right. Uh, so two questions. Talk about the importance of human communication and critical thinking. Um, absolutely. The, that in itself, communication and critical thinking um, were two essential um, elements that were needed to be able to get the crew safely home. Um, and, and that's something that I think we often overlook today um, is communication. Uh, in this day and age, it's easy to uh, send a text or some type of um, direct message. Uh, communication was at the, the backbone of survival, um, not only from the crew, the ground to the crew, but also internal and mission control. For each controller that sat at a console, they had a backroom counterpart that was also assisting them um, as they uh, took down the data and, and information. And so the communication from backroom to front room, from front room to flight, from flight controller to Capcom, Capcom up to the, up to the uh, spacecraft and the spacecraft down, um, that, was, that was incredibly important, as was critical thinking. Um, it, it, you know, there, there was no process or procedure that had been developed um, to overcome the situation. So the, the critical thinking, thinking outside of the box and working together as a team um, was also important. And, it, you know, talk about the, the COVID-19. Um, I, I think this has direct application to, to what we're seeing with, with COVID-19. Um, science and, and the public administration perspective um, absolutely can be applied. If we work together, if there is proper communication across the board, um, you know, from the federal government to the state governments, to the counties, to the cities, uh, and back up, if there is a, a, a unified feeling of, of teamwork um, and, and working together as one, then, then I think this becomes a manageable situation. Um, if we are working as independent factions, which at times seems to be happening, um, then, then just as would have happened with the uh, command module, um, we, we won't conquer this, this pandemic. Um, but if we all rally together as one, work together as a team, communicate um, effectively and efficiently, um, then I think we can, we can accomplish anything. Uh, the question was, what kind of quality control did they do for the next four Apollo missions? Um, the, the quality control was really with the, the command and service module. Um, they, they didn't implement any new process or procedures. Um, what, they, what they wanted to do is ensure that they knew what caused the explosion um, and that it wouldn't happen again. Um, so as it relates specifically to expelling the oxygen during the, the tests prior to uh, the launch. Um, there were some changes of that process and procedures, um, but, but the quality control um, typically was, was always there, um, especially after the, the Apollo 1 fire and disaster. Um, both the contractor who was building the command module, the service module, the lunar modules, as well as NASA, the mission control, 
the astronauts took quality control to the next level. Um, so this this ne- wasn't necessarily an issue of quality control as it was more um, just something that, that significantly malfunctioned. So the oxygen in the fuel cell So oxygen and uh, hydrogen um, were pumped into the fuel cell. And then what this did was provide power, oxygen, and water uh, into uh, the command module. Um, So the tanks would funnel into the fuel cell. The fuel cell then utilizing the hydrogen and the, the oxygen would provide uh, the byproduct water, um, which was then the potable water uh, that the astronauts would use inside of the uh, command module. So the power that the fuel cell generated powered the spacecraft, as well as providing um, life support for the astronauts. So a good question about the movie. Um, what happened in the movie was, was it artistic license or did it really happen? Um, there is a large portion in the movie that is artistic license. Um, it, the, the movie itself stayed true to the mission, um, but it is Hollywood. Um, so they, they had to dramatize it. Um, things such as... Uh, Jim Lovell saying, Houston, we have a problem. Um, that wasn't exactly how that played out. Um, Gene Kranz coming in and throwing a whole bunch of stuff on a table um, didn't play out that way. Um, Gene Kranz uh, saying failure is not an option didn't happen. Um, he, he never said those words. So um, while in general, uh, it, it was um, something that uh, stayed somewhat true to the mission, there was obviously a lot of... Um, artistic license that was taken. Um, So the question about the restored, um, a picture of the restored command module from the museum. Um, I don't have a picture of it, but hopefully you can see the Odyssey and and this is the restored Odyssey on display um, here at the museum. Uh, Question was, how did the drop tank get into the spacecraft? Probably goes back to the quality control question. it theoretically that tank probably should have never made it to the spacecraft. Um, the assumption was made that it was dropped. There was no damage done. Um, so they continued to, to move the tank on down the line. Um, so that was one issue that probably um, saw some, some quality control changes. How did they get out of the ocean? Um, so the astronauts themselves were, um, lifted out of the ocean in a, a recovery basket. Um, so there would be a helicopter um, hovering above uh, the astronauts. A recovery basket would be um, uh, sent down. The astronaut, there would be a frogman down there um, assisting. Uh, the astronaut would climb into the basket. The basket would hoist them up. They'd go into the recovery helicopter and then back uh, to the carrier. The capsule itself, um, it was. Uh, basically lifted um, out of the ocean um, by a large crane um, on the uh, aircraft carrier. So the crane would, would lift the capsule up uh, and then put it up on, onto the deck. Uh, the module was actually in space uh, seven days, um, launch, launched on the 11th uh, and then um, returned on the, on the 17th. Uh, question was, did they know the heat shield was good before reentry? No, they did not. Um, that was something that was of, of concern both to uh, mission control as well as the astronauts. Um, unlike uh, the shuttle um, and then the, uh, the station today, uh, the command module was not equipped uh, with, with a, a robotic arm where it could take pictures of the heat shield. 
And so the heat shield um, and, and a potential crack were, were of serious concern. And so it was only after uh, the spacecraft landed safely in the ocean that they knew that the, the heat shield hadn't been damaged. And to exacerbate that even more, there's a period of time during reentry known as a blackout. That's when all communication between uh, the, the spacecraft and mission control is shut down. And the period of blackout is usually a few minutes. Um, for some reason, the blackout period during the reentry of the spacecraft of Apollo 13 lasted longer. And for six minutes, um, ground control, mission control didn't know whether the spacecraft or the astronauts had survived. Um, it was only when they saw the, the chutes um, deployed as the craft came back um, that they were able to um, ascertain that the crew uh, had survived. Uh, how many original parts were restored? Um, our logs show approximately 80,000. Um, now, that also is, if you I don't think you can see, but a, a panel um, in the command module can, can contain thousands of parts. Um, so oftentimes, we would get uh, full panels um, that we would then uh, clean all of the parts um, in, that, in that particular panel. So about 80,000 parts. In, to in total in the spacecraft, um, and virtually all of those were either cleaned or restored to some degree and then inserted back into uh, the, the spacecraft. Uh, how big was the oxygen tank to support that mission? Uh, if you can see my hands, um, you know, a couple feet in diameter. Um, so, so not a, not a huge um, tank itself. There were multiple oxygen tanks um, in the service module. Uh, so it, it wasn't necessarily the only oxygen tank. Um, but what happened is when, when it exploded, uh, it destroyed the fuel cells, which ultimately um, rendered the, the spacecraft lifeless. Do you have any other spacecraft on display? Great question. Um, yes, we do. In fact, uh, once this uh, pandemic lifts, I invite all of you to, to come to the Cosmosphere. We maintain the, the largest collection, uh, international collection of, of spacecraft uh, anywhere in the world. So not only do we have the Apollo 13 spacecraft, we also have the, the flown Gemini 10 spacecraft. Uh, we have the flown Apollo, or I'm sorry, Mercury uh, Liberty Bell 7 spacecraft. And then we have a Vostok, uh, Russian Vostok, uh, Russian Voskhod, uh, as well as uh, uh, Soviet Soyuz. Um, so we have a very, very extensive collection, and, and it is the only museum in the world where you can stand and compare and contrast um, the Soviet program and the U.S. program side by side. <laughs> Good comment. How many people worked on the restoration and what was their background? That's, that's a really good question. Um, there, there was one technician whose, whose primary job, trying to get this to scroll with me, uh, whose primary job uh, was, was to, to do the restoration of the spacecraft. Um, Greg Buck Buckingham uh, worked on that spacecraft for, for over two years, worked tirelessly, um, and, and his, his background was, was interesting. He's a, a retired military, uh, but really kind of a jack of all trades, and, and that's um, how, uh, that's what we look for when we hire um, new uh, technicians for SpaceWorks. Um, you don't necessarily go and, and hire somebody who, who knows about Apollo 13 or Liberty Bell 7, um, but you can take someone who has a background in, in electrical um, uh, carpentry and begin to apply their skills um, to the artifact. And, and so utilizing uh, firsthand artifacts in our collection as well as our um, archives in our curatorial area, um, we can teach uh, the technicians about the, the artifacts of the spacecraft. Um, so we, we typically look for people who are very well-rounded with, with a, a variety of skills, um, and, and that just happened to be uh, Buck. Uh, how did they confirm the heat shield was intact? Quite honestly, the fact that they survived reentry. Um, up to the point uh, of coming through the, the atmosphere and reentry, um, they did not know the heat shield um, was intact. Uh, was the reason for the tank to explode ever determined? Uh, the answer is yes. Um, again, that was it started with a drop um, in the factory uh, when um, 
the, it was dropped. Uh, it um, rendered a piece of that tank inoperable. Um, it was a valve to expel the gas. Um, during testing, the gas would not expel, so they had to superheat um, that tank to expel the gas. And when they did that, um, the, the sheaths around the, the wiring harness um, were destroyed. And then when they flipped the switch, um, it, it created a spark that ignited the explosion. Uh, gross weight of the capsule without the astronauts, about 13,000 pounds. Now, this is a great question. Um, so how, how did uh, this museum um, get to end up in, in Kansas? Um, we started in 1962 uh, as a small planetarium, and we were um, uh, – that our benefactor founder, Patty Carey had a, a love of the stars. Um, and she wanted to share, uh, the love of, of astronomy with the, the community of Hutchinson. And so she raised dollars to, um, get a used star projector and, and a dome and set up her planetarium in the poultry building on the state fairgrounds. Um, in, in 66, um, that, uh, that um, planetarium moved to the grounds here at the community college. Um, that continued to grow. Um, by the 70s, Patty wanted to create a science education center, and, and her question was, why not Hutchinson, Kansas? Um, there were uh, science education centers uh, in metropolitan areas and on the coasts. Um, there wasn't, at that point in time, anything um, like that in the central United States. So she wanted to do something that would serve this geography. Um, and so uh, it was that her, her foresight and, and tenacity um, that allowed us to begin uh, to develop in 1976 uh, a museum. And working with the Smithsonian and, and with uh, NASA, we were able to acquire um, in the late 70s a significant collection of artifacts and then opened up in 1980 as the Cosmosphere. And then we've been uh, been going ever since. Um, was the movie dialogue based on transcripts? Um, yes, it was. So, so some of the dialogue um, came from the transcripts. Um, but again, with with Hollywood, um, there's also some some artistic uh, licensing that you have to take. Um, the the service module uh, it burnt up, um, so it, it was it was never recovered. Uh, which French museum? I'm going to see if I can. It was a Musée de Science somewhere outside of uh, France, uh, on Paris, near an airport. Uh, what is the status of, of the three men and Jean Kranz? Um, Jack Swigert uh, passed away, uh, I believe, in the 90s uh, from cancer. Uh, Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes are, are both doing well. In fact, um, Fred. Jim and, and Gene Kranz were all um, supposed to have been here this past Saturday or two Saturdays ago um, for our 50th anniversary celebration. So um, Fred Hayes, Jim Lovell, and Gene Kranz are, are doing well. Uh, did they have to manually direct their final reentry trajectory? Um, they had to manually um, input the data into the computer, but they did not manually fly um, uh, or, or do the, the trajectory um, during the reentry. And then it, it splashed down in the Pacific. Um, there were three main parachutes um, that were used uh, to support the fall uh, of the uh, spacecraft itself. We did get some props back. Um, we have uh, some cameras that were used, uh, the in-flight garments um, that were used, and I believe uh, some other minor props. So we didn't get a, a lot, but we did get some. Uh, no superficial damage noted on the heat shield, uh, and the, the design um, did not change um, during manufacturing. It, it served its purpose and, and works uh, extremely well. In fact, um, today, as, as we look to um, build new spacecraft, um, that type of heat shield is going to be the same type of heat shield um, that our spacecraft have. Good question about um, lessons learned during the investigation. Did they standardize the filters across all platforms? Um, no, they did not. Uh, you probably should have. Um, but again, you had two separate contractors 
um, working independently of one another. Um, what's, what's really crazy is the fact that um, there were literally um, over 20,000 contractors, over 300,000 um, craftspeople working um, on this, the spacecraft, the, the rocket. Um, and the first time that all of that came together and was tested was on launch day. Um, and all of the launches um, went off without a hitch. Um, there were some uh, glitches here and there, but all of the launches were successful. Are the artifacts, sorry, let's see where that go. Are the artifacts from Apollo 13 on display? Yes. So um, everything we have um, related to Apollo 13 uh, is on display. Um, the command module, obviously, the, the heat or the hatch, um, Captain Lovell's uh, suit, and then we have some other minor um, Apollo 13 artifacts there as well. Uh, has Captain Lovell had a chance to visit? Um, yes, he has. Um, he is adamant in that... Um, the Cosmosphere is, is home to Apollo 13 um, and is, is evasive in his praise of the restoration and the display of, of the capsule. So um, we, we consider Captain Lovell to be a great friend and advocate um, and are, are very honored um, that he is uh, very pleased with, with the care that we are providing the spacecraft. Um, I'm not sure there was a, a significant change in future missions um, learned from Apollo 13. Um, I think Apollo 13 uh, is still to this day a case study in, in communication and critical thinking, um, which was um, uh, talked about earlier. Um, they took time to make sure that they understood what caused the the explosion and and obviously took measures to ensure that that wouldn't uh, happen but i don't i don't think anything um, really uh, changed um, because of the the explosion uh, was any useful science obtained from apollo thirteen uh, photography um, that was probably the biggest thing um, they were able to get um, significant images um, especially on the dark side of the moon um, Outside of that, since they didn't have or they didn't do a lunar landing, there, there wasn't um, significant uh, science as, as it would have been on the others. Um, no, there was there, there was no damage uh, ever discovered um, on the heat shield. So um, if you come in and you can go around the, the spacecraft and, and see the heat shield, um, it, uh, it remained intact. Uh, did any member of the crew ever return to space? Um, no. Uh, all, all three, um, n neither Fred Hayes, Gene, or um, Jim Lovell, or Jack Swigert uh, returned. Mission control, uh, the, the role of mission control um, was critical. Um, without mission control, uh, those three astronauts don't come home safely. Uh, so the leadership, the communication, the teamwork, the critical thinking um, that occurred in mission control um, was the reason why um, those three returned safely. Uh, the, the astronauts returned into the lunar module just prior to jettisoning. Um, so this would have been um, prior to uh, the reentry process. Um, so they would, have, they would have been well on their way to the return to Earth. Um, so they would have come back into uh, the command module, powered it up, and then jettisoned the lunar module. Uh, what, what kind of computer systems were used? Um, that, that's a great, great question. Um, all of you uh, with your phones, even, even probably the calculators that you might have on your desk, um, ha have more computing power um, that was than was used in the spacecraft or mission control. Um, so mission control, um, leading edge uh, computing power for the day, um, literally rooms full of, of large mainframe computers, um, but only with about uh, uh, 60 to 70K of memory. Um, same inside the command module and uh, 
lunar module. Um, so the, the computing power um, by today's standards was quite archaic, um, but leading edge for the time. But if you can think about, um, you know, 60 to 70 K of memory to, to calculate, um, that, that's mind boggling. How would you compare IT technology on the Apollo to the IT on the movie? Um, pretty accurate. I, I, I think what was shown um, in the movie regarding the, the technology uh, um, was was accurately portrayed um, as it as as it was. Uh, question was how was water produced if the fuel cells were damaged? Um, great question. Uh, water was not produced. Um, in fact, um, part of the concern was would there be enough water? Um, on board to sustain um, the, the three crew. Um, so they began rationing. Um, they had potable water um, that was already uh, built up, um, but they were not producing any additional water. So um, the, the crew rationed water uh, during the course of the mission um, as prior to their return. Uh, NASA did analyze the, the heat shield. Um, I don't know how close uh, the, the shield was to failing. Um, I, I know just by looking at it, it doesn't look like there were, were any issues. So um, I, I'm, I'm under the assumption that it, was, um, it, it did its job. Uh, the module's holding up incredibly well. Um, what we do to preserve it is, is keep it in a clean um, environment that uh, has constant um, Temperature, so the temperature remains around 70, 72 degrees, uh, relative humidity around 45, 50 degrees. Um, and then we have filters um, over the, um, the vents um, to prevent dust um, from getting in there, and um, we, we clean it uh, uh, regularly. So you've person asked about the... Uh, um, all the parts on tables behind the glass, and, and if the... Um, craft had been gutted what what was on the table so those were all the um interior hardware that the cosmosphere had acquired over years um and so that that was what was reinstalled back into the spacecraft so um the spacecraft was was virtually empty and then we laid out all the hardware um and systematically began putting it back into uh into the spacecraft Uh, the mathematicians who calculated trajectory, most of them were engineers. Um, average age, uh, roughly 26. Um, these were wet behind the ears, um, greenhorns that um, had uh, basically been learning on the job. Um, and so uh, engineers with, uh, with a lot of um, understanding of math. Uh, someone asked about the oxygen tank um, and why it wasn't expected, inspected for damage. Uh, I think that, that's a great question. Um, it was inspected on the exterior, but, but never on the, the interior. Um, and, and for reasons I, I'm not sure. Uh, the astronauts remained in the lunar module most of the way um, back to Earth. Um, so from the point the, the um, Explosion happened um, just prior to uh, their their re return through the atmosphere. They were in the lunar module. Um, the the process of guiding the command module it, it was um, all about mathematics um, and coordinates. So it was um, through navigation as well as um, entering the right data in the computer. Um, so engineers were the ones who were, were able to do that. You go in uh, too shallow um, and, and you're, you're going to um, bounce off the, the atmosphere. You go in too steep, you're going to burn up. Um, so that you had to hit um, reentry at just the right angle. Um, and it was uh, 3,000 Fahrenheit. Uh, did President Nixon or White House staff see any role during the crisis? Um, Nixon, for sure. Um, I can't answer uh, about the the staff itself, um, but but Nixon, um, in fact, he had um, on his desk uh, a, a letter, a note that he would have delivered to the American public um, had the three astronauts perished. 
Um, so Nixon uh, was was very involved. Uh, the the filter question, um, not with command module, but with with future. Um, so such as space shuttle, um, that definitely was something um, that was changed. Uh, were the pictures of the service module damage able to be sent to mission control during the return? Yes. So um, the the answer is um, those pictures um, were were a seventy millimeter film um, and and weren't. Um, uh, produced until after they got back. That's a great question about Cessna. I, I don't know. Um, were they aware of the drop tank prior to installation? Um, I Yes, but I don't know how far up um, that went. Uh, will the Odyssey and Captain Lovell's suit be leaving the cosmosphere in the foreseeable future? Um, not as long as I'm alive. I, they, they would have to um, come over me <laughs> to, to get it. Was there any delay after Apollo 13 while they figured out what happened and how to ensure that it didn't happen? Yes, there was. Um, it wasn't as extensive a delay as after Apollo 1, um, but, but there was um, a delay, and I, I don't know the, the exact um, a time frame, um, but there was a slight delay um, between Apollo 13 and Apollo 14. Uh, I can make the slide presentation available. I'll I'll um, uh, I'll work with the uh, with the library to do that. I don't think Ron Howard has ever been to the Cosmosphere. Um, we we tried to uh, make contact with with his people um, uh, to invite him to the 50th anniversary, um, but but have been unsuccessful in doing so. Uh, after the restoration was complete, did NASA engineers come and, and look at it? Um, not necessarily current NASA engineers, but um, uh, former NASA engineers, flight controllers, um, contractors, astronauts uh, have, have been through this uh, facility to look at it. Uh, we do have a Gemini spacecraft. In fact, uh, we have Gemini 10 uh, on display in our museum. So, so, Bob, I invite you to come look at it. Uh, the chemical composition um, uh, is a propellant um, hydrazine, uh, I want to say, um, highly toxic. Um, I, I think hydrazine is right. Uh, the, the CO2 filters were not made uniform. The SIV, yeah, the, so the, the third stage impacted the moon. Yep, that's correct. Um, the question is, how do they know where reentry will occur with enough precision to pick up the astronauts in time? Um, some incredibly intelligent individuals who have a high understanding of, of math and physics um, were able to calculate that. That's a so Tony a, a good question. How was the effect uh, salt water on the restoration? Um, with with the command module, um, there there weren't uh, it, there wasn't a lot of, of corrosion from salt water um, because the uh, spacecraft didn't spend um, a lot of time in the ocean. Um, there there wasn't uh, a lot of opportunity. Um, for corrosion to occur uh, due to the chlorides. Um, there was some, um, it was cleaned uh, and combated. Now I will say with, with uh, Liberty Bell 7, um, that spent uh, 30 plus years on the bottom of the ocean and, and then the F1 engine components that we um, restored or conserved for Bezos uh, expeditions, there was extensive damage um, due to the salt. Um, and one of the things we had to do was um, to ensure that we 
remove the salt, not only from the surface, but from the interior. Um, and it's, it's a lot like um, when you go to the dentist, a dentist removes uh, the decay on the surface of your teeth, but they have to drill down to remove the decay on the interior of the tooth. Um, what we do is use a, a chemical solvent or solution um, to remove the, the, the chlorides from the interior of, of the uh, material. Uh, the computing power wouldn't even come close to today's iPhone or iPad. Um, there, there was moisture and ice in the command module um, due to the temperatures, but, but nowhere near to the extent um, that Hollywood showed. Uh, the, the temperatures were definitely cold, um, but, but they, they weren't at that sub-freezing that, that Hollywood depicted. Um, I, you know, I don't know if the astronauts had doubts they would get back. I, I'm going to say probably to some degree, um, though they, they wouldn't probably um, state that out loud. I think any time um, anyone is faced with um, a pretty grim circumstance, you're going to have some type of questions. Uh, yes, uh, in fact, we've had some people from SpaceX um, visit the museum, not to gather any information, but, but just to visit. In fact, one of our former uh, campers and camp counselors uh, is a mission controller at SpaceX. Uh, how many Apollo 13? So we've got um, one, I'm counting out loud, two, three, four, five, and then in our camera, I, I'd probably say seven or eight Apollo 13 related artifacts um, in, the, uh, in the museum. Um, during the course of the Apollo 13 mission, I am not aware of any women that were in uh, mission control or, or working in any of the back rooms. Uh, the rebuild took uh, a little over two years. Why did the French Museum have it? That's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have an answer for that one, but that's a good one. Um. Good question. How do they determine that the wires um, were fried if they didn't recover the service module? Um, my guess is going to be that they, they probably ran significant tests um, and then made that conclusion. Uh, the speech that Nixon wrote, um, I'm going to assume is either in uh, uh, the National Archives or the Nixon Library. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about the number 13 being superstitious. In fact, um, Jim Lovell um, made reference to it uh, given the cancellation of the 50th anniversary celebration. Um, he, he just said that, that uh, 13 still is unlucky to this day. Uh, the engines that we have um, in uh, that Bezos brought up are the F1 engines. Um, we presently have uh, the center. Um, thrust chamber from Apollo 11, as well as the uh, LOX dome and turbo pump from Apollo 11 on display here. Yes, you do need to come to Hutchinson, please. But, and thank you. Uh, it says on the, on the launch pad, the command module looks white in space. It's silver and behind you, it, it's rusty looking. That's, uh, that's great. Uh, accurate. Absolutely. So on the launch pad, um, there is a white um, cover called the boost protective cover. Um, and in fact, it's actually um, a, a cork-like uh, substance or material. Um, that is to protect um, the exterior of the command module um, during the, uh, the launch of the, the Saturn V. Uh, at a certain altitude, the BPC or boost protective cover is jettisoned. Um, so there's a launch escape tower um, at the top of the BPC um, that pulls the BPC away from the command module. Then on the command module um, during flight uh, are, is, is are silver mylar strips. Um, it's a, a herringbone um, type of configuration uh, and the, the strips are, are a material called mylar. And then that mylar um, essentially burns off um, during reentry. And then um, NASA peeled most of the mylar off um, and encapsulated it as souvenirs. Uh, type of metal. Um, so for, for the, the command module, um, it's titanium, uh, mostly um, stainless steel, uh, some aluminum, 
and then uh, an ablative or epoxy resin um, that that uh, is uh, heat resistant. Um, the the lunar module um, had to be lightweight, um, so again, uh, uh, aluminum, um, some titanium. Uh, if you come to the Cosmosphere, in fact, directly in front of me is uh, our lunar module ascent section stripped down, and the the skin itself is is you know just a few millimeters thick. You could literally, um, if you if you tried hard enough, I'm not advocating you do, but you could you could probably poke your finger uh, through it. Would the command module start again? Is it operational? No, it's not. So um, the command module itself, it went through a process, um, a, a safing process, um, where all of the um, uh, batteries and, and things of um, hazardous material um, were, were pulled out of it. So because of that, it, it, wouldn't, um, it wouldn't be able to start. Thank you, Tim. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you in November as well. Um, how much stuff did they transfer over from the lunar module? Um, not much at all. Uh, they, they took some things um, back. In fact, I know Captain Lovell uh, took some of his Leva gear, um, which is presently on display at, at the Adler. Um, but they did not take uh, much um, back just because of, of uh, weight factors and factor of unknown. What is my favorite Apollo 13 artifact on display? Um, I, I'd probably have to say Captain Lovell's suit. Um, that, that's that's pretty cool to to be able to to sit there and look at that. Do you think the Apollo 13 crew would have survived if Ken Mattingly weren't on the ground? Um, yeah, I do. I, I think the fact that Mattingly was on the ground um, uh, probably helped them uh, come to some uh, conclusions on on process and procedures a little quicker, um, but. You got to understand these are incredibly in, in, in talented individuals who who train constantly, and so regardless of if Mattingly were were there or not, they they still would have been been able to bring them back safely. Uh, yeah, that's uh, there was a change in the volts from twenty eight to sixty five. Yes, very good. Thanks, Greg. Trying to think if I've got any more questions. Looks like that's the end. Jim, I think that was a record for uh, questions for one of our programs. Hey, I love it. That was that was fun. <laughs> I'm glad we had a lot of time, enough time to uh, answer uh, all of them as well. So. I'm sure I probably missed a few, and for that I apologize, but, but tried to, to get all of them. Well, well, to get the answers, they'll have to go down to visit the Cosmosphere. That's right. Absolutely. Or, or come to the Linda Hall Library. We have a lot of uh, uh, just shelves full of Na NASA tech reports from that era. So they can dive into Apollo all they want. Uh, Perfect. Well, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time today to uh, give the presentation. Hey, my, my pleasure. It was a lot of fun. I, I look forward to doing it again soon. We're about, what, about six hours away from the... Six, six hours from explosion. Yeah, on the exact 50th anniversary. So thank you again, and thank you, everyone, uh, wherever you are uh, watching today. Thank you so much for participating in our program, and we hope to see you back here soon at one of our upcoming live stream events. Thank you, and stay healthy. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Cosmosphere podcast. Make sure you share and subscribe to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review on iTunes. They're crucial to the success of podcasts, so we'd appreciate it if you could take just a minute to leave a rating or review. They help more people find out about the podcast and the museum. For the Cosmosphere, I'm John Mullix.